All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 101 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host today, Julian Gill, admin on the FAQ message board. Joining me, 69th Blizzard, Ken. Hello. Uh, who's that troublesome-looking fella? Oh, yeah. Hey, Andy. Hey, he's gone. <laughs> uh, from Canada, Marcus Almighty. Mark, welcome back. Hello, and, sir. And last but certainly not least, hey, stranger, Daniel. Really, we should have had you a part of episode 101. So, uh, I mean, from 100, the uh, the highlights one, of course. So, hopefully, no alarms today, no nothing. Today's episode, um, well, first, any news? And I think Mark, uh, not Mark, Andy, I've got to deal with five names now? Shit, I'm screwed. Uh, Andy, <laughs> you were mentioning rumors of tours and whatnot. Um, what do you think? Uh, just now all of a sudden there's huge rumors that Kiss is going to go on a tour in the fall and they're supposed to bring some unexpected to be the opener of Coax and of course the whole Ace thing's coming back into play and yada yada. Uh, yeah, as much as and everybody knows I'm a huge Ace fan, but I don't want to see it happen. It just doesn't make any sense. I love Ace. I can't see Gene. I can't see Gene and Paul saying. Hey, Ace, you can't play Shock Me, you can't play Parasite, you can't play Cold Gen. Oh, Ace, oh, well, I wrote the songs. You know, I can't do my Shock Soul. I, it just, I, I can't see it. If it happens, no doubt I'll be there, but it, you know, one of those magical things that could happen. It would be cool, but I I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't think it's going to, it's probably sell a couple of hundred more tickets, but that's about it. It's not going to be, they're going to play these huge stadiums as they supposedly, no, that rumor says. They're not playing any they fucking need, stadiums. You yeah, know. They, need, they need another co-headlining <laughs> tour, which we hate, I hate personally. More, it's like less kiss and more money to spend on a ticket. So if it's yeah. going to be a bigger tour, I wouldn't doubt it. If it's, you know, like you guys said, too, uh, next year is uh, Live 2, Love Gun, 40th anniversary. Who opened up? Cheap Trick. You know, they're going to have somebody like Cheap Trick, Judas Priest. Somebody's got to be a bigger name. And it's and dark. And I don't want to keep going because that's another whole topic. <laughs> yep, yep. Just stupid rumors as usual. So uh, let's get into today's topic. And actually, uh, the European tour looks like it's selling pretty well. I was counting seats today, which is, of course, highly scientific. You know, one by uh, one. yeah, one by one. We've got we actually have people who do that. They count the seats of tickets available, and it looks like a lot of the markets are doing very well. So that's exciting for European folk and, you know, up yours, you know, because there's no I haven't seen Kiss in a while. Let's get into today's topic, and I'm just going to play a quick excerpt that'll hopefully set the stage for it. You asked me once, Winston, what was in room 101. I told you that you knew already. Everyone knows. The thing that is in room 101 is the worst thing in the world. All right, so... Episode 101, we're going to do a Room 101. That's, of course, George Orwell's 1984, the movie with uh, John Hurt. Mm -hmm. um, room 101 is the room where the worst thing in the world exists, the most terrible thing uh, for your personal fears, for whatever. It's also a fun British uh, TV series, um, you know, that you kind of reject stuff and send it to Room 101, which is what we're going to do today for Episode 101, is what things in history 
do we think deserve to go to Kiss's very own Room 101, which is located on the lower levels of the Fortress of Solitude, somewhere near the Kiss Vault? Um, you know, these are, these are things that we're going to take a revisionist, you know, way of looking at history, possibly. And we're going to erase these from our personal histories and hopefully for you as well, because these are the worst things Kiss has ever committed. Crimes against Christianity, if you want to go there. I, I, I can't think of any other way to make it work. I'm going to throw my first one out there right now, and it's read my fucking body is an abomination. <coughs> a disgrace it needs to be erased from the kiss catalog it needs to be removed from any further remasters of hot in the shade um and just get rid of it edit it out as bruce would say it's a transparently pathetic attempt to emulate def <clears throat> leopards pour some sugar on me it's a failure all around and <laughs> i want it gone it, it's not worthy of paul stanley's vocal simple as that um yeah. th thoughts on that one ken i'm gonna go to you yeah uh, i mean i wouldn't listen to that as one of one of them but uh it's it's not one of their best attempts at a at a at a hit song uh, or trying to copy like you said def leopard so uh that one yeah that's lower that's way down in my list of uh kisses <laughs> songs uh, as for quality but uh you know, I kind of agree with you on that. What would be one of your uh, Room 101 rejects then? For songs? For, anyth for, for anything. An anything you want. All right, here's here's one. It's not a song, but uh, it's the uh, the Gene Simmons mod look in the Asylum era, uh, wherein the, where he looks like Mod from Golden Girls or or whatever Mod from the other show. But uh, anyway, it's it's. It's just bad. I think when they uh, took their makeup off and we're going to go through the, you know, 80s, they should have just kept the makeup off, uh, uh, off completely. I mean, that means any kind of makeup. Don't put on the rouge and, and blush or whatever it, it may be, <laughs> lipstick, uh, whatever they were doing, I mean, the stuff around the eyes. So I, they don't, they don't. They didn't need to do that, uh, even though a glam thing was kind of kicking in around the time. I mean, you had poison and other stuff, but they they didn't need to do that. They could have just, you know, kept it. They should have went to a revenge era right then uh, instead of trying this all this weird makeup kind of crazy stuff and outfits during uh, the 80s. Daniel, he mm -hmm. just he just criticized. Uh... Asylum, you, you got anything to say on that before you get to one of yours? Uh, well, it's easy to be uh, wise in hindsight, you know. Back in the yes. day, when, when, when looking at the Tears of Falling video back in 85, it looked real good, goddamn good. <laughs> Paul Stanley was about the coolest guy around back then. So, But after a year or two, or, or even ten years, it, it doesn't hold up, of course. Uh, it don't. Um, but uh, one of my... I would have to say the elder. Some of us Ooh. even wrote a book okay. about that goddamn thing, but but <laughs> but, but it's what that? a mistake! What a mistake! I've read that book. It's it's a fine accomplishment, but to spend that much time writing a book about the elder, I'm <laughs> impressed, Julian. I'm totally impressed. Next time, write something about a good album, Asylum or Event. 
Well, I, I, I guess I could have written a, a very successful book on French military successes, but instead I prefer to do failures like The Elder. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't get The Elder. I, haven't, I have never understood it. The falsetto singing to the uh, the fun, f- what's the name of the, the instrumental tracks over there. And, and, um, I don't like it at all. I know some of you do, but to me it's not a Kiss album. Even though a, a, a song like A World Without Heroes, of course, is a great song, but some of the rest are just like you want to puke. Well, hey Daniel, the uh, you know Julian's going to write another book, a uh, uh, romance novel now. It's going to be called Fits Like a Glove. <laughs> you might want to pick that up. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it's a sequel, Hot Knife Through Butter. So, <laughs> since uh, you've gone on a progressive one there, um, you know that naturally is a segue to Mark. Mark, what would be you know one of your one hundred ones? Well, you know the funny thing is when we were when we were discussing doing this whole room 101 thing i actually decided to venture out and find this room 101 so i discovered this 101 room and when i went in there i found a bunch of interesting shelves with signs on it like this one here Uh (laughs) bob shit do not touch or mention again now what was on this shelf destroyer Oh, oh my god. And the elder. Oh. Wow. Oh my. So obviously those two things, you know, you know how it is. Whatever Bob Ezrin touches just turns into poop, right? So you you don't want to have those things mentioned much longer, especially on such a fine podcast as we have here. You know, we want to talk about we want to talk about great things like asylum and you know rock and roll over and you know, the first three albums, but, you know, Destroyer, I'd rather just erase that from my memory once and for all. You know, it's it's such a terrible studio album. And Elder, you know, like I said, I, I fully support Julian Gill and all his book writing. He's one of the finest rock authors I've ever read. And the book on the Elder is fantastic. But we all know it's weak. And the only reason why it's weak, the the album, is because Bob did it. If it would have been anybody else who was involved in this album, I think it would have been a hundred thousand times stronger. Could you imagine an elder produced by Eddie Kramer? It would have been fantastic. It would have prevented him from doing all these kind of falsetto singing, like Daniel pointed out. He would have put in some much more of Ace's playing into it. I guarantee you, and it would have been just something that we would have heralded and loved. Would it be more like Tommy or something? <laughs> well, who knows? It, even Tommy would have been better, don't you think? You know, but I, I personally think that Bob is the the problem in this whole mess. So I was very interesting to find that shelf. You know, I ran into a couple of other shelves, but we'll get to those later. Yeah, I'm 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 absolutely stunned. I, I and I want to save you know a lot of the discussion about the elder for an elder specific podcast. Uh, but I just do want to make clear that the majority of Odyssey is Tim McFate. You know, thank you for mentioning me. But uh, you know, the for the amount of work that went into that book, the vast majority of that, and you know, even the vast majority of the interviews were conducted by Tim, transcribed by Tim, uh, edited by Tim. You know, so got to give him his shout out and kudos for everything that he just said that was very kind to me, you know, applies more so to Tim. You know, Andy, you managed to be quiet for 
um, you know, going on several minutes now. So, I mean, what do you got to say to all that? And, you know, give us one of your things in history that you would really like to see removed. Well, uh, I'm trying to chill a little bit because I've seen some of the things here in ASA. I'm a little bit too off the wall at times. But... Hey, be, be yourself and, you know, caffeine yeah, it but up. That's me. You know, if I went to something, man, I, I'm there. I'm celebrating it. If I'm telling you, if you can't be excited about kissing 2016 from when they started in 73 man you gotta you might as well just get off the boat if you know what i mean come on now really so anyways this is a i had to think about it from when i grew up as a child okay you know i'm 47 now so when kiss came they could do no wrong when i was a child so nothing in those first years could be anything wrong it didn't matter what they did what they sold, it didn't matter because when you grew up in an age, you didn't care. And you used to see things, things in magazines and stuff. But then as you start getting a little bit older, so my kind of list goes as I start getting older and, and then you can kind of go back. But for me, the first years, there's really nothing really wrong because it all, I guess, depending on your age. You know I mean, if you just grow up now and you're just getting into Kiss, you might say, oh, man, Monster's awesome, Sonic Boom's awesome. But we, some of us might go, uh-uh, you know. But anyways... Since, uh, you know, I'm going to start early on. The worst thing that when I was growing up, because I was about 11 and a half by then, and then you kind of understand it by then, by then it was 1980, and uh, we've all heard about, oh, yeah, you know, Kiss sucks and this and that. You, you know, come on, we've all heard it. This was the worst thing they could have ever, ever done, period, on an album. I was blown away at 11 and a half going, what the frick is this at the end? Oh. They still stink? On a Kiss album, what were they doing? Who the hell, who the hell let that get by? How did Gene Paul East and people let that get by? I still say they stink after all these years. Are you kidding me? Burn that guy. He looks like Howdy Doody. You know, <laughs> stabbing for even freaking making that. It, it should be just blanked out. It should be Kiss. You know, and the crowd goes wild once again. The end. Don't put they still stink. Are you nuts? That should be a race from history, period. What were they thinking? Uh, I don't know. End of story. So my thing is not just songs. I like the songs, even though it was a pop, kind of pop album. It wasn't huge in the United States. But come on, man. Every Kiss fan that was a die-out Kiss fan didn't want to see Howdy Doody saying, man, they still stink at the end. Screw you. What the hell are they thinking? Yeah. Next. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I what, what can I say to that? You know, let's go from one animated character to the next. Daniel, you know, let's have a, a second pick from you or a response to Unmasked. Mm, yes, the, the Unmasked thing is um, kind of, I, I think I, I think it was Ken uh, way back. He talked about how the, the Unmasked al album cover should look like, well, what it should look like. And it, it should reveal them unmasked on the inside of the, you know, yep. when you fold it up. That yeah. would be a, would have been a good yeah. album, um, and of course they wouldn't have been unmasked. They would have, you know, show, show, shown off, off their makeup. You know, I've been, I haven't been talking English for a few months now, so I'm kind of rusty. I'm just warming up here, you know. Um, well, s something that I um, didn't like was when they hired a certain guy on guitar. Uh, he had a lot of talent, and. Uh, he was quite a good songwriter, but he had zero charisma. And that guy was Bruce Kulick. Ooh. Ooh. You guys... What? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he, <laughs> he was so, so loyal. You could always depend on him. 
Uh, he even wrote songs. He was always there. He didn't cross Paul or Gene anytime. He just did as he was told, followed orders. But he had zero and none charisma. And back then they needed someone to step in and pick up some of the, you know, Paul and Gene needed something more than just Paul and Gene. And Bruce wasn't the guy to do it. I like Bruce, but but they would have needed someone else with a lot more flash and balls to uh, to pick up, you know, what do you say? Pick up the slack. Uh, slack. Yeah, slack. exactly. Pick up the slack. Pick up the slack. Yeah. Like Ingve Malmsteen. No. <laughs> you know, even uh, though he's from Sweden, I wouldn't like to see him in the band. But you someone know, who could do anything else and stand like this on stage. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Daniel, they didn't want to hire someone that was would take the limelight away from Gene and Paul. Yeah, wanted, I know why they wanted to be the stars yeah, on the stage. Of course, I knew. But that that's one of the big problems in Kiss that they couldn't share the limelight. You know, <laughs> they still they could share have... the limelight. Are you kidding me? Tommy stands here like a brick stone too. Tommy doesn't have no charisma. Uh, Tommy is. Oh, it's, it's about the no. same. I, I would say Tommy's a little bit better on stage than Bruce was. <laughs> Well, but Bruce never getting into a costume and makeup, so that would be kind of a different thing, too, I would imagine. So. Yeah. Bruce was always a good player on stage. He, yeah. It all sounded great. Well. You know, the Creatures of the Night solo with Bruce Kulick sounds great. The Did Creatures you just hear it? solo with Tommy Taylor is like, ah, not on par. Agreed, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I can already tell that the the video on this is going to be an absolute nightmare. So I do apologize in advance to anyone watching this episode later because I've uh, bit off more than I could. How do you want us to sit like uh, this or like that? Oh, you, <laughs> just as long as you're in the middle of the camera. But one one yeah. of the things you know, someone mentioned covers and unmasked. I I think you know. That, that's a great one, and I love the the conversation that we had way back where we uh, discussed a, a you know an alternative for that. But I want to throw a pick out there that I would love to see sent to Room One Hundred and One, and that is the Asylum cover, not the album, just that cover because yeah. it has poisoned people's opinions of what I really, really, really feel is a fine album for nineteen eighties Kiss. You know, obviously, I've said over and over again how it's one of my favorite albums, and it's so important to me as a Kiss fan because it's my entry point into the band and being a fan. So, you know, obviously, I'm poisoned. I'm, I'm biased on that. But I think a lot of people just judged it by that atrocious cover, even though I actually, you know, I, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's a bit dated. Um, it's certainly better than putting B. Arthur on the uh, on on the cover. But if they did, a, you know, a little I bit it more. Was. You know, no. You know, if they did like a photograph at one of the photo shoots and had just done that as yeah. the cover, I don't think that would have been you know received that much better. Especially when you look at the back cover with the artistic flourishes that are you know kind of applied to them as a portrait. You know, but anything but that, I think. Asylum. Creatures of the Night, eight to five reissue. That would have been yeah, I, yeah. Come on, that would have been yeah. a great cover for Asylum. Yeah. So you know, I think the album would have done better even if it was a little bit visually impaired shall we say you know kind of boring run-of-the-mill just here's a fucking photo of the band slapped on the cover of the album i think it would have gotten more respect from kiss fans and maybe music fans in the long run had they not been given the opportunity to kind of judge it with their eyes first before ever getting the vinyl out and slamming it on their turntable you know they're already annoyed by it by the time they see the cover and, you know, get rid of it. 
Simple as that. Replace it with something far better, and the album uh, doesn't do any better sales-wise, but, you know, we don't have people bitching about it 30 years later. Mark? I love Asylum. I love love Asylum. I don't know what it is. I like it. I like the cover. I know it sounds weird. I don't know what it is, but it still had that raunchy... It was still some of this music was still heavy on it, and then the tour was great. I think I look at it as though it's like the whole picture. The tour was great and everything else. I don't know. I just, for me personally, I I I, I like this album. I still do. I don't know. It's probably that's basically my favorite mid. I say hair band '80s kid. It's my favorite album of, from them, point blank. I don't. I just it is. It's just cool. I don't I, know how that guy kept his job. You know, the one who was in charge of the covers. What's the name of? Dennis that guy, Willock. Dennis yeah, Willock? exactly. Because after Creatures of the Night, well, maybe lick it up to some extent, but after that, when did they ever have a good cover again? <laughs> I'm not sure. Revenge was kind of cool, but I don't know if it was that's great. Not, it's not a good cover. Uh, Psycho mm. Circus is a good cover, but I don't think that's anything to do with Dennis. You know? Do animal, you think so? that's an, another discussion? Animalize yeah. is garbage as a cover. But... Well, that, that 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 was one. Of, that, that's one of my things as we're going on. Because I say, like, I want to do it by year by year as the years came on. Mm. Like, my next one is Lick It Up cover. They should have never taken off the makeup, period. I know why they did it, because they said, oh, they were losing popularity, losing that. They were still playing smaller places anyways. They should have kept the makeup one more year. They were going out with the tank anyways. Use the tank. Go out with Lick It, lick it Up. Lick It Up was then being, a, uh, you know, it was end up being... You know, a, a popular song and still is played to nowadays. You know, all these years later, it's still, you know, played and still people love it. They should have kept the makeup one more time. They had an awesome that cover, as you've seen some bootleg covers of what they would look like if they just did that. If they left the Creatures thing on there for that album cover, that would have so much kicked ass looking and fixed the back cover and put something on it a little bit on the back. I think that would have been primo. That album would have even sold more copies. It would have been more popular, I guarantee it. So it might have it might have gone gold bef- before 1994, or whenever it actually went <laughs> gold. I mean, no, lick it up went platinum. Eventually, well, it just, eventually, and then take off, and then take off the makeup for Animalize, which basically that album, that front album cover's got to go. Who the hell wants a freaking what is that a zebra leg in there? I'm like, what the hell is this? When I saw that, I'm like. They should have took the back part of the cover and put that on the front and then take the back and then do something else on the back, put stuff around it on the edges like they did like Hotter Than Hell, you know, some Zebras or something, some markings and stuff, and make the KISS logo big. They shrunk the KISS logo. That's not the KISS thing. The KISS thing is usually big, you know? They should have at least yeah. took that back picture that was on uh, Animalize and put it on the front. You know, that was, you know. Sorry. Know. Mark. That's- yeah. Okay. So, anyways, um, I I don't agree with the whole makeup thing. I think that their makeup thing was totally dead. They needed to do something. Nobody gave a shit about Kiss then at that point. So they needed to get people's attention back at that point. And I think one of the ways you do it is with the makeup. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the makeup and I love Lick It Up the record. But I still think Creatures is a hundred thousand times better record. And if that didn't sell with their makeup on, what would have made Lick It Up? that much more stronger with the makeup on then. So, but who knows? That's just us speculating. For all we know, maybe Andy might, might be right. Maybe if they did keep it on, maybe it would have went through the roof. Who knows, right? But getting to my choice now, 
as I went through that very ominous room there, I came across another interesting shelf there with another interesting sign on it. What was he thinking? <laughs> and on that shelf was this. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to have Bob Ezrin on that shelf. The Peter Chris solo <laughs> album. Peter Chris solo album, yes. Now, of course, you know, I, I'm sure I don't have to go into great detail as to why this was put on that shelf, but, you know, the opportunity was there to do a solo record. I know the whole thing with they're saying, oh, Peter wanted to just do something that was his roots and wanted to show his stuff of what he liked and what he was influenced by and stuff like that, and that all makes sense, but come on. If you're going to be competing with, you know, your bandmates that were all also releasing solo records, you want to try to make a strong record that's going to compete with those things. I mean, really, did he think that what he had on this is going to compete with Ace Frehley's record or is going to compete with Paul Stanley's record or even possibly, you know, compete with Jeans? Maybe it could a bit with Jeans because Jeans kind of was a little weak. But, you know, it's still a lot better than this, in my opinion. But frankly, and I mean, really ask yourself this. If this record wouldn't have come out, if something happened, let's say they, the Masters got destroyed and we're sorry, guys, only three solo albums came out, would people have really cried about it? I don't, I don't think they really would have because, I mean, after hearing this, I mean, Jesus, I mean, just, just I mean, terrible. You, you could put jeans in the trash as well. <laughs> oh. Yeah, only two of them. But what I would like to say about Peter Chris, to me, he was one of the luckiest guys around, you know. He, he was a cool player from 75 to maybe 77, 78, somewhere around Japan. He lost it, kind of. And, um, oh, no, what happened now? <laughs> Here we go. Oh. <laughs> I think you I just think the lights just like, Everything just went blank. Yeah, we just you lost a lost power. We just lost. Wow, that looks like a creepy room 101 picture there. Look at that. It looks that's, like that's creepy cool. of the night. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 we... Daniel is uh, is is uh, you know indisposed or whatever at the time. <laughs> All right. So, in talking about the makeup, you guys are talking about the makeup, the album cover and stuff. But I was thinking room 101. Throw in there is uh, is having. Uh, Ace Frehley and, and Peter Christ, uh not selling their rights to the makeup. Hmm. Uh, throw that in there because they shouldn't they shouldn't have sold them. Wow. Sold that. I mean, they, they designed that makeup. Uh, come on. They designed it. They were fine-tuned it over the years. Uh, that's their character. Um, I think they should have kept it, and they could have been selling it, you know, the rights licensing or whatever back to kiss and make some money um and who knows if gene and paul maybe wouldn't have gone for that they we would have maybe seen some new makeup uh on eric singer or you know tommy thayer for that for that matter some new characters um because i don't think they wanted to see i don't think paul stanley ever wants to see kiss die obviously um he's gonna keep it going he kept it going throughout the 80s so uh, yeah, yeah, it was limping a little bit here and there, but he kept it going. He didn't give up, and uh, I think they would have kept going. And so I would have liked to have seen them uh, retain their rights to the makeup, uh, their you know their ownership of it, and uh, it would have been interesting to see what what would have happened. 
that's that's a really fascinating one to really consider. If you if you think about you know just some of the bad decisions that Peter and Ace made, just imagine how much control they would have had under the ba- uh, over Gene and Paul if they had retained yeah. those rights. I mean, it would have made the discussions about the reunion a whole lot more interesting. You know, if they had that in their pocket, and particularly after the five-year contract ran out for the reunion, you know, imagine today, you know, Tommy and Eric, I mean, you're not going out on tour unless we're paid or, you know, I'm sure there's some legal ways around it, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it it still would have been fascinating had they not, you know, completely given up everything that they kind of creative, you know. So that's I never thought of that one, but yeah, I mean that would have been a killer. <laughs> yeah, but we might we might not have any kiss today if they didn't that's sell it either. So it's a double-edged sword, yeah. yeah. But, I, <laughs> but on, Mar- on Mark's thing about the Peter Chris solo album and stuff, hmm. I, I have to check those out because I consider them really solo albums. They're not really Kiss albums in way, even though they have the Kiss. Hmm logo on them they're really technically solo albums so don't really want to throw those into the bug uh, under the bug of aka kiss you know what i mean in a way so that's another devil that's another topic we can get <laughs> that's another thing right i thought uh mark would have picked a different peter chris album than that one <laughs> i mean that's basically peter chris's best album right oh no no of all solo albums that's his best solo album no i don't think so but, yes it is you know, no it's my opinion. I, I think that's a lot better because of all the help that he had in creating that album. I, I don't think consider it a solo album as such um, because it, so much was done for him. But I, I think <laughs> otherwise it would have been a situation that there was no Peter Chris solo album. And that might have been a good thing. That might have forced them to take the best songs from the other three and just make a freaking 1978 Kiss album. Um, yes, you know, and and, and Peter could have said, "I'm quitting the band unless you let me sing when you wish upon a star." Um, you know, who, you know, <laughs> you, know, you, know you know, just just imagine. Well, I mean, you know, take take any of the songs from Paul, Gene, and Ace, and say which one of those would you know Peter's voice have worked well on mm-hmm. his vocals. I think there's probably a couple move on on, on Aces. In oh my god, he has so many killer Aces. All album is. It's money. Oh yeah, I mean, but, but it, it's, no it's, it's more likely it's more likely going to be an Ace song that Peter gets to do a vocal on. If you just look back historically, can you see Paul giving up "Move On"? You know, at that point, maybe when they hold were, me, touch me when they hate each other, <laughs> basically. So, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's that, true. I mean, that's actually you know maybe a topic for another you know episode. Of, yeah. You know, make a 1978 Kiss album from all that stuff, but. Um, I'm I'm gonna throw my next one out there, and that is Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Oh. And while I've come to at least appreciate this for the kitsch of what it is, what it was, what it wanted to be, but what it wasn't. So Good choice. You know what what it tried to be and what it accomplished are two different things. It obviously was their first effort, but it was just so bad. At some point when they were, they should have done test screenings and seen these guys actually act because they don't. They're just crap. They should have looked at the script and said, well, it's crap. Uh, They should have looked at every single aspect of this and say, it's an embarrassment. You know, (laughs) rather than doing it for the sake of doing it, I think it does more damage to Kiss and their credibility 
and it's really kind of things go pear-shaped after Kiss Meets the Phantom. You have them trying to be friendly to the kids. You have teenagers kind of abandoning the band. Then you have them going off into their pop disco, you know, uh, Luther Vandross kind of crap music. Um, well, I mean, Vinnie Poncia produced instead, instead of being a rock band. And Super Kiss. Yeah, Super Kiss, and everything that it represents is kind of the hinge point for me is Kiss Meets the Phantom, that they went Hollywood, that they actually took that seriously. I It just staggers the mind. I mean, did they not watch it? Did they not say, where was the quality control? Where was the devil's advocate saying, guys, I really, really don't think this is such a good idea. Um, we need body doubles to do the acting. We need voiceovers to do the voices, and... Basically, let's mm. make this movie with another band, not you guys. I think they heard. I think what they heard probably is, you know, they heard that thing where they told them, you know, this is this movie's going to be. Too many like, yes then. Yeah, and but they, they they were told this movie's going to be like Star Wars meets the Beatles, you know, like you know, Hard Day's Night or something like that. It's more like Plan Nine from Outer Space meets you know H.R. Puff and stuff, you know, <laughs> something no, like no, that. No, this is more like letting second graders. Put on their own production. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sorry. Right. I, I mean, it's like something out of South Park. Uh, it, it's just, <laughs> it's it's. Yeah, an, but when when you were a kid, though, you were sitting there a little. You were sitting there on oh, your yeah. parents' living room floor, going like this. Mom, Dad, kiss me, the Phantom's gonna be on tonight. Kid, all day long, running around in the leaves all day because it's Halloween, and you like can't wait, can't wait till Halloween's done. Get all your candy. You're all juiced up, and kiss is gonna be on TV. Because you never really get to see Kiss on TV at times mm. in the early early days, so when you actually did get to see Kiss, prime time. I mean, you might be able to get to see Kiss, but it was either twelve, one o'clock, whatever, early, late slash early in the morning. But Kiss Meets a Phantom was prime time on television. Every kid is going, "Oh yeah, this Kiss! Oh look, the Kiss got to be on!" You know what I mean? So when you're like that age, you didn't give a crap what it sounded like, what it was like. You just wanted to see. Yeah, and, and, that, and that is my problem with it. That yeah, because exactly. of those kids. For yeah. me, rock and roll was about my age group. It was about teen. Was about rebellion. Was about that. Not about five and six year olds who want to dress up and go <laughs> trick and treating as Kiss and watch some very safe, very corny, very you know just piece of garbage. And that's complete revisionism. You know, it's, yeah. it's not reality. It's nothing to do with mm -hmm. it. It just, to me, illustrates the the ultimate shift between what Kiss started off as as a dangerous rock and roll band, and the fully commercial, so overthought out, so sold out kind of joke that it became. Daniel, I want to go to you before we lose you again. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but I think they sold out quite quickly. I mean, uh, after Alive Two, maybe. Things start to go sour, to yeah. me at least. You know, Peter Chris's solo album and uh, Dynasty, Unmasked, The Elder, it was, it was like a slope going downwards. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were starting to chase trends. And if you want to see more about that, you can look up an episode called, what's that episode when you, we talked about Kiss following trends? That was a good episode. Did we do that? It's out there. Yeah, yeah it's out there somewhere. Yeah, that's a good episode because they weren't leading anymore. They were following trends, and that's one of the biggest problems that they sold out so quickly, sort of. Mm 
they didn't, you know, wanted to take a chance. They wanted to make money. Mm. And that was pretty clear from, you know, after maybe after live too. So so that's a big problem. What, what are you what saying, Andy? Yeah, who, who, who's, who's kind of the blame on that? Who wants to make money? You know, the band wants yeah. to make money and do shows, yeah, but who's, who's really is it? Is it the coin management? The coin management basically owned everything. The other ones who basically mm. did the products and basically put Kiss name on everything and anything when you were a well, kid. Well, I think I think if Ace Frehley had been the main guy, you would never oh. have seen you would never have seen you know the band going that way. Yeah. Paul and Gene, you know, quite quickly they became more of a businessman than rock and rollers. Uh, so Paul? you would have liked Ace Frehley to be in the driver's seat. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> really bad. <laughs> Uh, Bill O'Coin admitted that uh, even Paul Sneely did not like all the toys, all the all the all the stuff and stuff. Like in the beginning, he hated it, but in the long run, it worked out well because they make a lot of money off the money. Price. Yeah, so but they needed. But don't forget though, they needed the money because look at all the look at how much they were getting into you know debt at the time. They were they were spending so much money and burning so much cash. They by the end of it, they were hardly had anything to show for it. You know, yeah. if they didn't have all these things, then they would have been completely dead in the water a long time ago. Agreed. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, they had no even Gene said he had no idea, you know, where the money was or who was right. He just you know you know what I mean they they just. They, what they wanted to do, what, whatever they wanted to do it. If I wanted to go here, here, somebody pick me up, somebody drive me, they take us anywhere we want to go, any money, we snap our fingers and here we go. We do whatever we want, what we want, when we want. That was, you know, Gene Paul admitted, they admitted it. Even they, they all admitted it. They could do whatever we want, but they didn't know where the money was. I think, I, I think that's completely false because there are enough memos that, that, okay, they don't circulate, enough memos from band meetings that suggest that various members were getting called out in the band business meetings for spending habits that were being charged to the band, ace and guitars, Paul and guitars, um, you know, other costs. You know, I'd have to go through a lot of the memos and pull out direct quotes. But there was a lot of shit that they were talking about, you know, accounting for this. Where are these expenses being billed? Um, but I think definitely the overall point that you're making is absolutely correct, that they had no idea, particularly, I think, after Glickman Marx enters the picture of where all their money was going. They were seeing things in band meetings that Glickman is investing in this, you know, investing in that. And obviously that bit them in the ass in 87 with the coal mine or whatever it was, you know, the, the, yeah. ta the tax havens. Mm -hmm. So. You know, dumb business decisions by people who are not businessmen, by the money managers, is certainly something that hurt the band in the long run. But it also made the reunion possible. So, you know, kind of. Well, and it, and, it, and I think when the reunion happened, you know, they they. Um, and I always thought when Kiss played uh, the Who's "Won't Get Fooled Again," and that was the reason why that song played before Kiss came on. It always in my mind thought that. They will never get screwed over ever again, and that's why they play that song. Not only just a tribute to the Who, as a thing, thinking in the background, we're not going to get fooled again. Nobody's going to screw us. We're going to de deal with our right. We're the Kiss Company now. We bought the rights. It's our business. You either do it or we hit the highway. And I swear to God, I don't know why, but that was my reason thinking about that song when they played the Who's Won't Get Fooled Again. And well, it just seems to fit the bill right. All right, that's another difference. Well, they, they totally fooled themselves. Mark, let's go to your room 101. <laughs> okay. 
So, again, as we go through the the room again, came to another interesting shelf. Bob Ezrin. Waste, Waste of paper. paper. Waste of paper. Now, what could, what could that possibly be? Well, when we're talking about books, there could be only one that's a waste of paper. Oh, oh, oh Mark. You know, for, for Christmas this year, I'm going to send you a shovel. <laughs> well, let me explain. For, for, a, for a guy who saw so much, and did so much in the band. I mean, granted, he probably doesn't remember half of it, which is my whole point. <laughs> okay. For, you know, when you write a book, you're supposed to write about the high points and the low points of your career. He had so many opportunities to write about so many things that people wanted to read about, you know, or, or stuff that I wanted to know about, like the recording of some of these records, some of the things that happened while they were doing it. And, you know, some of the great things that happened during the tours and stuff like that. You know, he, he doesn't really tell me a whole hell of a lot in this book, really. I mean, the best stuff was probably more near the beginning. Then there was like a whole bunch of stuff about him going to see King Tut in that exhibition there. And like, come on. I mean, to me, it's a waste of paper. I mean, even Peter Chris's book went into more detail about stuff than his did you know he, he talks about him and anton fig drinking that cough syrup and getting all wired on it and then going fishing and stuff i mean come on i want to hear stuff about you know what happened in the band and stuff you know the, while there is that in there i just think that overall this to me is my least favorite book out of the out of the four that came out and that's why i think in room 101 they put up that little sign there rightfully that is probably a waste of paper because they could have put so much more into this gave me so much more to read made me so much more happier than what this was well i guess you'll just have to look forward to his next book which that's what i was gonna say number two right still no regrets oh boy ken let's go to you on yeah i was thinking um about kisses rights to because i started thinking about you know the makeup and stuff but then I, now i'm thinking about their 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 rights to their own music um i think they shouldn't have sold that that out where you know universal owns their music right recorded music um uh i think if kiss would have retained that um we could have then gotten a lot more cooler stuff or releases coming out maybe uh, they would have could have done me there on their own. Maybe they could have gone to another you know record company or the you know have their own release their own record company Kiss Records or whatever, um, and release some cool stuff, cool packages, live well bootlegs of course too, but um, you know cool packages where deluxe editions where they can just do whatever the heck they want and. Uh, <laughs> Poor Daniel is is uh, I'm still here in the dark. Oh, he's alive. So that's one thing I'm thinking because you know to me the, the music is the the most important thing for Kiss and for me at least. And uh, I, I would have liked to have had some really cool special re-releases packages. I mean, the Love Gun Deluxe could have been. Could have been Think deluxe. about what it could have been a lot. But yeah, it could have been a real deluxe. I mean, in a big box maybe, and 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 who knows what else, you know. So that's them losing their their music uh, rights uh, is 
101 thing for me. You know, sadly, I think a lot of the problems with KISS is laziness. But one of the interesting things yeah. on, the, on the publishing, and I, I don't know all the details, I don't understand the business well enough to really do anything more than kind of blindly comments, and that's when they sold out to Hori. Um, I, I, I don't know what effect that really has, you know, on the publishing arm. I, I put up a video a few, I guess it's a, maybe a couple months ago, uh, from the Vegas uh, residency and Universal, mm -hmm. uh, Universal, uh, put a copyright claim on that. And I, I was very kind of bemused and confused by that because, number one, I recorded the audio, so they can't possibly own a live recording of what the, the song was Creatures of the Night that's, that's okay. on it. So they can't own that in any way because they've never released the uh, live version of Creatures of the Night from the Las Vegas residency. And if they did, they didn't record that night. And then the publishing side, I was always under the impression that Hori kind of owned the publishing, and that was why they got the money in the first place. So, you know, I, I think Kiss controlling it would have made more sense. I mean, think of Motley Crue when they got their masters back. I mean, and that's a totally different thing to the publishing or any of that side of the, the kind of the what you were talking about. Imagine if Kiss owned their own masters. They could do absolutely anything they wanted, and I don't think we would be having these these discussions and i think robert conti talked a lot about this in the three sides interview you know for all that shit that they recorded and all the reels and masters and all that which falls under the contract just imagine if kiss had all those well they mm -hmm. probably they probably would have ended up in a fucking warehouse that they didn't pay the rent on and would have all been out there by now so you know just like yeah. happened happened previously so i that that's a, that's a great thing to kind of consider you know your your point ken so um Who's next? You know, <laughs> I always feel like I got to go back to Daniel every time because his lights flicker. Poor his lights. Poor man. Oh, the charge. Oh. oh, okay. Ooh. Alexa, yeah. nice. Very nice. I got well, I, get it. I, get I it. looked in my room 101 and I found another great book by the author. Uh, you know, that one with the pigs. That's a good one. Pig, uh, Animal Farm. And next to that one, I saw this note, Paul in charge of everything. Ugh. And uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes to me that the band ever did. Uh, it becomes more and more clear. And when you see interviews these days with Paul, he's so far away from being a rock star and he's so out of touch with the rock and roll scene. So it's it's almost incredible. This guy was the coolest guy around back when I was a kid. And now he's like this old fuck making pizzas, thinking he's a cool guy. I think it's terrible. You need someone else to be in charge. You know, look, 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 look at his Twitter, for example. It's horrible. He wants to portray himself as this family man and, ooh, I have this lovely family. And that's his image nowadays. Who cares? I mean... Be Paul Stanley, the old rock star once again. Not that, not Paul Stanley, the old, old man. Well, yeah, and, like... and, it, it, and I think it, it has a terrible effect on the band as well. If you look at Monster, if anyone says to Paul, "Well, this is not a really good track," I'm the one in charge. I say it's good. You, you have no say. I think, I think it, it, mm. it is like that in the studio. Look I don't think he listens to anyone. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's that you nailed it right on the head, though. That's exactly the problem. Is because when if it's his way or the highway, then there's yeah. really no way 
to co- collaborate and to make something stronger. If it's just one person at the helm steering everything all the time, it's it's not it's not good. You need input sometimes from people as well. You know, and input is good. I mean, you know, even even in just even in my situation that I'm I'm doing my stuff by myself, but I like even going on my own Facebook, as you guys know, and asking people their opinion on certain things too. I don't like to do stuff always by myself. It's nice to get some outside opinion from people because sometimes you get better ideas. Some new. Uh oh. Active on stuff, and if you don't, oh, did I get cut out there? Yeah, sorry, just a little bit. Okay, well, I was okay. Sorry, well, I don't know where I cut out, but I was just saying that basically, if you don't have outside people's opinions helping you, then you're just gonna get what we have in there: monster and sonic boom. No, no way to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, you know, constructive criticism is exactly that. You know, it's <laughs> criticism. You have to be able to take the positive viewpoint along with the negative. Otherwise, don't ask for someone else's opinion. Simple as that. So I'm, I'm going to throw my next one out there, and I'm going to say the solo albums. The pro- oh, the, no. Wow. The, the pro- <laughs> the, different subject. That's solo. <laughs> you know, and again, it's it's probably uh, better off as a standalone topic about minking a 1978 Kiss album. But I think yeah. the whole project was just so ego-driven, so crazy. I, I, I'm going to leave out of the discussion that the band were having problems and they, you know, wanted needed time away, <clears> even <throat> though the, you know, the groundwork had all been set years before for them to do solo recordings right. as a contractual and all, all that bullshit. We've talked about it, you know, so many times on the uh, Genius Peter Paul show and whatnot. But I, I, I think the ego, you know, transcends just the band into Casablanca and Neil Bogart pressing and overpressing. I, I think it, it just set such a bad precedent for the band that they got away with whatever, you know, and putting out some pretty mediocre stuff. I mean, Jeans is very patchy. I like some of it, you know. Paul's is strong. Ace's is strong. You know, Peter's, I, I'll admit that I do like parts of it, but I, I think in overpressing and putting so many copies of the uh, the albums out that it ultimately did so much harm to Casablanca, it did so much harm to Kiss economically to be shown to be an utter failure and, you know, some, something of a laughing stock that, you know, here's all these fucking Kiss albums in cutout bins that we just can't sell getting sold on for 97 cents, you know, really turns them into a big, bit of a joke, over-commercialized, you know, over you know, uh, overhyped, you know, it, it really is kind of the land of, land of hype and glory. Look at the band. I'm not going to say that they wouldn't have gone that way without the solo albums, but the solo albums are really an advertisement for everything that was wrong uh, for Casablanca, the band, maybe the country, the world, the universe. So. But but the, but the thing is, it probably hurt them a little bit, uh, probably a lot, is because there were four of them at the same time. You know, back then when you were a kid, you know the how much was the album? You know, if it wasn't ten bucks, mm-hmm. was it? No, you it, afford it, one at a time. They had a list price, but you know, most of the time these are advertised at four ninety seven in many places, and and that's in September nineteen seventy eight. So you know, no one was playing paying retail or should have been. 
Yeah, but you know, yeah, but if you were a kid back then, you like you had to either pick one or you maybe were lucky to pick two as a kid, and you had to wait X amount of months or until the next Christmas or whenever to get the other one or two. So basically, you picked your favorite guy if you had a favorite guy. That that killed him automatically. Yeah, just, he, just think of the poor fucker who could only buy one album and he picked Peter Chris's. I mean, yeah. I mean, think yeah. of, you know, you know, Pete, we're not going to get into the artistic side of Peter's album yeah, because yeah. We, we've gone over that. But just think of the rock fan who buys that, and all of a sudden you've got R&B, disco, blues, uh, you know, that, that completely alien music, mm-hmm. and that was your one fucking yeah. album that you could buy maybe for a month. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, but then you then you turn around and turn on the other scope, and then you, go, you get Ace Frehley's, and you go. Holy mother of God, can this guy play? The guy can freaking write like crazy, and the songs are unbelievable, and there's no tra- there's really no crap on his on that album. It's unbelievable. So you turn around and look at his, on that, the other expected on the road, you go, this is just, it's just unbelievable. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm a huge Ace fan, but anybody, you throw that album to any just regular rock fan, don't tell them who it is. Just throw the CD or whatever it is and say, hey, dude, just take a listen to this. And they're going to, by the time they end of that soul, that soul album, they're going to go, man, this is pretty freaking damn good. And it can still hold up to these days in 2016. Ace's album can still hold up to to, to music these days. It's just it's unbelievable what he did, he could do. And how effed up and screwed up he was, too. On top of that, not only that, how messed up the guy was. I mean, unbelievable stuff. I mean, you know, and Gene went his way and did his thing. He's thinking outside the box, and Paul did his thing, and Paul was, you would say, was more of a Kiss album. You know, it is what it is. But yeah, Ken. <clears throat> okay, here's one, another one. Um, it has to do. It's a book, and this one I I did not even buy it. Oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> and, but you read it. Well, it's the Kiss Monster book. Oh. And that thing belongs in 101. That should have never been released. What the heck were they thinking? Would it fit Bigger into room 101? Not always Simmons. better. Gene Simmons idea. Yeah. I, I don't think they all sold, first of all. Uh, bigger <laughs> is not always better, right? Yeah, uh, five sold. Yeah. So I'm, what they should have done, and I, w- I wish they maybe they could still do, is... Uh, take that book and reduce it into a nice, yeah, smaller, a little bit smaller version that we can uh, enjoy and hopefully afford because the price on that was totally outrageous also. Um, there's no way I could see, you know, purchasing that book. That's just, it's just, you're not, you're not giving it to the Kiss fans just because the, a lot of kids, most of kids fans are not going to be able to buy it. It's too expensive. So they're just like uh, I think Andy was pointing out. It's, it's a money grab, some kind of money grab that they were trying to do there. They did bring one on mm. the Kiss Cruise last year, and they actually opened one up. And you should have seen the crowd like run there, like a like stampede. And they were flipping, they were opening the page one by one. They're like, don't touch it. But they had a woman with gloves on, opening it up oh, and showing oh, everybody God. the picture. Gloves. That's just a... F- I, I'm, no, no lie. Um, no lie. Because the thing is massive. Like Dean's copy. Oh, yeah. You know, I... I, I it's massive. Its size, it's size is not in question. It could have been used as a fucking anchor on the cruise. I mean, come on. 
some of the pictures were some of the pictures that we've already seen too in the past. And I, from my, mm-hmm. from I understand, there's a lot of pictures from like the newer Kiss. So, sorry, the newer Kiss, and you know, we you know we all like to see these pictures that we've never seen before. Me personally, I want to see stuff I've never seen before. I don't want to yes. see a picture I saw in 1976 over blown up into a giant poster size that you know. I mean, if you got the money and you want to buy it, I, I go for it. I mean. Mm-hmm. I can turn God can turn the computer around. You guys can look around here, and you know people laugh at me and say, "Holy crap! Look at how much stuff, how much money you spent in it." But you know what? This is what I like to do. Yep. You know what I mean? This this is my drug. If I like it, I'm gonna buy it. If I don't want to buy it, then I won't just buy it. That's all. You don't have to buy it. And you know, some of these people, like we said before, we've had this discussion before. People, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, I don't want this. Oh my God, you don't have to open up your wallet and give them your credit card or take out a loan. You know, it's it just, it is what it is. Buy what you like, and you know, I mean, I see stuff. I'm like cringe. I'm like, oh my God, Hello Kitty drives. I'm like, oh my God, that shit. Dri-. That's one of my pet peeves. The Hello Kitty crap. You know, the people, are like, hey, Andy, you see this Hello Kitty thing? I go. Oh uh, yeah, I sorry, sorry. But I know what they're doing. They're trying to get a different graphic of people and kids and everything else. So if you want to buy, buy it. It's always going to be the music is number one. I always yeah. want to hear music and stuff in music. All this is stuff is just a celebration of the band. That's all. For, that's what I look at as I look at it. I feel like a Paul Stanley rap's coming on right now with a motivational Paul Stanley lyric. <laughs> you know, you know, hallelujah, Andy. You know, but but you mentioned something, and you know, it's kind of indicative of, of my accusation that the band is willing to slap their fucking name on just about anything for the licensing fee. And Hello Kitty needs to go in room 101 with lighter <laughs> fluid and matches because mm-hmm. that's some of the dumbest shit that. Well, actually, you could spray it down with Kiss perfume and just light the whole bunch on fire because the perfume and Hello Kitty, you know, it's just dumb fuck stuff. And I just don't get it. I don't like it. I just am embarrassed by that whole thing. Both of them. It's just get it out. You know, it, it's just, it's yeah. like Phantom of the Park merchandise. So Hi, people get me. People look at my stuff and say, well, that's pretty cool. And then they look at other stuff and go, oh, my God, how could you buy that? You know, I think they put I put I think they put their name on everything because they've got the Kiss Army down to a T. That they know there are so many people who buy five of something, that they hoard it, that they open one, they put the rest mint in boxes, <laughs> thinking that it's some goddamn investment for five years down the road, that they're gonna be able to list their KISS perfume on eBay and make money. Mm-hmm. And I think I... KISS plays on that. They play on our addiction to buying anything with a KISS logo. And I I I, I just find it kind of offensive, personally, even though I don't have any interest in it. I've never bought I, any of that crap. Never went. I, I pro- I, and I probably have one of the worst. Every time I look up online, I probably have the worst thing. If you turn around, look at the Kiss's worst products, one of the products I have is like one of the worst is the casket. It's always up there in the number one or two spot. Well, you know what? Tough shit, people. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm gonna die someday. I gotta be put somewhere. I bought it. <laughs> yeah, Trump's but that's that's the difference. You can you can use it. You can, it you can use it. Don't buy it. Hello Kitty. Uh, you know, grown men <laughs> buying Hello Kitty. I just I just find it staggering. I've got no issue with. I, like they said, it could be a fucking cooler, and then you can chill out in it in the afterlife. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever. You know, and again, it all comes down to personal taste. You like this shit? Fine, buy it. If it makes you happy. 
buy it. That doesn't mean that any of the rest of us or anyone else, you know, can't laugh at it uh, or can't be offended by it. I, I love the one from Monster Mini Golf that was uh, posted up on Facebook this week, and that is the air guitar strings. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, is, that is making people's heads explode. That's I'm sorry. Fun. For everything I've just said about Hello Kitty and all that other stuff that I've just, you know, completely kind of railed against, I think the air, gu- the air guitar strings is absolutely brilliant. I mean, that is co- come on, three ninety nine. It's hilarious. You know, and I'm not offended. I'm, I'm going to try and get one because... You know, it is Kiss is selling or whoever they license is killing nothing. Daniel, I want to get back to you because you've been silent for too long. So throw throw something out there. Well, um, talking about the merchandise, I think they release a lot of crap. Even though I think that the the uh, casket is kind of cool, but it was way too expensive for an insane guy to get it. The but uh, yeah, it's kind of cool, but way too expensive. Um, I would say, you know, that team, KISS, <laughs> LA KISS, what the hell uh, was that? It oh, was yeah. doomed. That, that's one KISS that really was doomed. <laughs> I mean, why the hell did they pick that one? The sport, I didn't even know it existed before I heard about LA KISS. What was it called? Um, it's not the NFL, it's something else. XFL, are- arena football. Never heard, yeah, America, yeah. Uh, never heard about it over here, you know. So uh, and I, I saw some of, some of it online what they did and it was just a terrible idea. But I don't want to talk about merchandise and uh, football teams. I want to talk about Kiss. So I, I have picked this one. Fire alarm. Ron Nevison producing a Kiss album. I can never get over this one. You know they were kind of on a roll. They had they did Creatures, Lick It Up, Half of Animalize is good. And Asylum, 82, 83, 84, 85. That's four years. Then they take some more time to make an album. And you're thinking, now things are really cooking. Now we're going to get something really good. And then they release Crazy Nights. And they leave off stuff like, uh, you know, uh, that one with Paul. Uh, um, what's the name of it? Sword and, Sword and Stone. Sword and Stone. Yeah. Just magnificent vocals on, on the demo. And they put stuff on the album like Bang, Bang, You. That's about the worst song to me. It's even worse than uh, the one that you mentioned in the beginning, Julian, uh, from the Hits album. Read so, My Body. Yeah, exactly. Read My Body. I would have that higher than Bang, Bang, You, but none of them are really <laughs> that good. So... Uh, Ron Nevison, he kind of destroyed the album. He didn't want Sword and Stone on that album, from what I've heard from Bruce Kulick in, in some interview. But he decided Bang Bang You was a good idea. And then he did something to the album so it sounded really poppy and crappy and no metal at all. So, uh, I mean, if they had a good sound on that album and made a few different choices when it comes to album tracks... I think it would, could have been a, a good album. But now, to me, and Gene Simmons trying to sound like Paul Stanley is another thing. Well, Gene, you should be trying to sound, sound, try to sound sexy and, and be like a sweet song singing guy like Paul is. You know, his, some of his best singing is on, uh, on Crazy Nights, but yeah. you don't want Gene to sound like that. You want him to sound like, you know, burn, bitch, burn or something. That, that, 
That's the way I want to hear my Gene, not like trying to be like them. And even in the, in the photos, Gene was totally out of it during that period, trying to yes. look, you know, you know, with the lips and everything, trying to look uh, good. Powdery lip, Gene? Yeah, powdery lip, Gene. It never worked. <laughs> so Ron Nevis and the whole Crazy Nights era, that's a uh, thing that you can talk about. Well, that, well that, that, that's a really good one. And I think let's go for one more before we wrap this up. And I'm going to go on a similar vein as you, and that's Bruce Fairburn. You know, as mm. much as I would like to say erase Psycho Circus from the band's history, I, I think what it ends up being, is, you know, song-wise, there's some good music on there, simple as that. But I think going outside of the known Kiss producers was a mammoth mistake. So we need to put Bruce into room 101 and he can hang out with the LA Kiss. I mean, obviously he's gone, you know, now, but... Uh, you know, get rid of him. He should never have been producing a Kiss album. I mean, I, I don't know what on earth they were thinking. And there's been enough interviews on it, but I still don't know what they were thinking. I mean, it was as bad a decision as they'd done with Ron Nevison for who... Um, who oh. <laughs> well, with who, who he had produced and the kind of stuff he'd done, his catalog did not speak well for going and working with Kiss on a reunion album. The reunion album really should have only have been... Eddie. Simple as that. I, I think you would have gotten a little less trouble out of Ace if Eddie was involved. Regardless of contractual issues and any of the shit that they were fighting about, I think Eddie could have been a peacemaker and could have gotten more out of Ace and maybe more compliance, more you know, more creativity out of him. And and it's everything's easy in hindsight. You kind of understand what they're doing on one hand. But I think it was just such a mistake to do any album without having one of Kiss's, you know, real previous producers, which you can only do Eddie Kramer. So, um, Andy, let's go to you for your final pick. Oh, my God, final pick? I have to really? I actually have a couple, and it kind of drives me nuts. Uh, can I do it quick? Can I just throw it in there just to throw it in? Number one, I have to throw this. The Alive 3 audience is so fake. Get rid of that. <laughs> Dump it. Right, okay. right, right after I talk about Eddie, right? Okay. No, wait a minute. No, I'm just saying, though, the, the live three audience just sounds so fake, it's horrible. I don't understand that. I agree with Daniel. Crazy Nights is basically a Paul Stanley solo album with guest, guest Gene Simmons and poor Eric Carr's drums. I just, just shoot me. That, that, that album, the tour, everything was just, it was all Paul Stanley. It had nothing to do with Kiss. It was all Paul Stanley. Uh, one of my really pet peeves out of, well, that Kiss Japan stuff with those little kids. What the hell was that? <laughs> Throw that away. Uh, the Sonic Boom. The Sonic Boom, okay? The CD. The, the remakes they put in Sonic Boom. What the hell would they think of that? That stuff sucks, man. I listened to that once, man. I want to step on that CD. What well, a terrible true. job those guys did. Leave it alone. I don't care what you say. Leave those songs alone. But the one of the, my last one, though, is the Creatures remake. Creatures of the Night remake. What was that? That is so confusing. What were they thinking? They said they did it because the album seals weren't that great from the original one. So you take another photo and do a whole new album and remake a couple of the songs. I I just don't get that. That that creatures and I should be thrown out in the dust. I, if, there's no offense to Bruce or anything because I, I love Bruce. Bruce is a great guitarist, but I just don't understand why they did that. And yet, and the last thing on my little list here. As we're throwing things out, 
is uh, I love the Kiss Cruises is the price tag. I want to throw the price tag and throw in the garbage. They're going to need to take the price down. So the real fans, you know, I've been saying, that, oh, it's, this is for the diehards, this and that. It's all about now, It's as you've seen all through the years. It's who's got the most money, who can buy the most guitars, who can buy those drums, buy this, buy this extra, buy this extra. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've already said it. It's a great time on the Kiss Cruise. But the price-wise, just to get on it, it's just a little bit too expensive. I wish they dropped some of the prices. So that's my list. <laughs> hey, Andy, Andy, brother, I mean, you got that all out in two minutes flat. You know, righteous, <laughs> righteous, righteous. You know. record. <laughs> Mark, let's go to you for your final. Well, my final one is outside of the room because I met Daniel in there, and he took over the room a little bit there, so I let him meander around there. So my last one is uh, really just one that I've had for a little while, actually. Now, I've become a great fan of the first record. I've always loved the first album. But one thing that kind of really bothered me about it and that I thought should be in the Room 101 is that they should have... Imagine this. If they would have left off Kissing Time and Love Theme, that album would have been absolutely perfect, that record. If they would have left those two songs off of it and released it as an eight-song record like that, like... Well, like I, I, I think that would have been absolutely fantastic. So for me, I would have shit can kissing time and love theme. Wow, I think that I think I agree with you there, yeah, Mark. Except definitely. the fact that kissing time, yeah, they didn't need to do that. Uh, love theme should have been the full oh. acrobat deal. Uh, that would have been a, a better thing. Or, or simply substitute them for the two songs that were kind of left off. Watching you, and let me go no. rock and roll. I mean, oh, yeah. just that, think of that with those, that album. Yeah, that would have been yeah. perfect. All right. We're all this, all, always picking cover songs. Always terrible at picking cover songs. Kiss, God gave rock and roll to you work, but but other than that, I don't know. They have a lot that of a Neil, bad ones. That was a, that was a Neil Bogart choice because he wanted to try to make a hit yeah. single because that was his specialty. Worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it worked. I mean, simple as that. But, uh, you know, I'm always kind of annoyed that they didn't cut a studio, won't get fooled again. But, you know, there you go. I hope Kiss never, ever, yeah. ever makes a trivial album to anybody. Please, no. Uh, it, uh, you know, please never do it. I know they've picked a song here and there. It's okay. But please don't do a whole tribute album to somebody. No. If, I, if you want Kiss, I want their own music. Thank you. <laughs> I agree. Daniel, let's go to you for your final pick. Room well, I started I started out with putting Bruce Kulick in room 101. Let's come full circle and put another guitarist in there. Uh-oh. This time, it's pre- it's a pretty obvious one. But you have to say Mark St. John. You have to say Mark St. John <laughs> when talking about room 101. I, I sh- I'm sure we've discussed this a million times, but... How in the hell did they pick that guy? It was obvious he had drug problems. They must have noticed he couldn't play the same stuff twice pretty early. And they needed someone with flash and balls. But look at, at him in the Heavens on Fire video. Didn't look that great, did he? No. So he didn't have anything. Except that he, he played fast, of course. And there's a million of those guys. So I, I never got my hand around how they picked Mark St. John. It's a total mystery. Or do you know why? Well, they said, like like Ken said, they didn't want anybody to, you know, they went through the, they went through the Vinny thing where Vinny tried to 
you know, yeah, be you know, try to. I don't know what's that word I'm looking for, but anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Trying to be slick, you know. They didn't want somebody to try to take nope. over them, and nope. they wanted to find basically another nobody, kind of in a way, kind of like they found Eric Carr, yeah. you know. And in um, and at the time, right, the time that, that was the style, the Bumblebee style yeah. was was the style, and I'm like, yeah, but he looked awkward. He played awkward. He he moved he, awkardly, you know. But he he came. He came recommended though. Paul Stanley was looking for somebody. Grover Jackson, who owns that yeah. guitar company, that guy must have been well, high or something. Well, said that he he recommended he <laughs> recommended him to him, saying that he was a real you know technically good player. Yeah. So he recommended him to Paul, and there you go. But still, you go why back to, they why you, they still picked him? Who knows? Yeah, you go back to what Daniel's saying, and even during the recording of the album, you know, Mark has said Paul was coming in and you know shit counting all the stuff. They would leave him to work on his own, and you know then come in and criticize everything they did that he did. So why did they keep him? You know, number one, visually, they must have done some test photos of them as a lineup. They didn't like what he was doing in the studio. You know, mm-hmm. come on, they have to bring in Bruce <laughs> to do some stuff. Yeah. So why did they keep him? I was I was thinking about putting Mark on my list, and then I thought, no, his, you know, his, his tenure was so brief that I think it plays a part in the story of the band. Too important to you know erase him from history, even as brief as it was, you know, in what one and a half live performances. But it it, it boggles the mind. What the fuck were they thinking with Mark St. John? You know, God, re- you know, you know, rest, in, rest they... in peace and all that. I would love to hear yeah. the demo tape. They must have heard a demo of his, you know, oh, to, yeah. to be that adamant to stick with him through the recording when they're not liking things and they're trying to get him to work their way. And, and the, you always hear that he couldn't play the same thing twice and he doesn't look the part. He doesn't fit in with the band in, yeah. in any way. So what did they, I mean, when they, what ha- did they hear that made them say, we oh. are going to have, we will take you? Because they heard the Bumblebee thing and the Bumblebee thing was big and they said they were going on a tour and the tour was like arranged really quick and they had to go overseas and they had to get everything moving but like but like was said there were so many of those guitars around i mean they were falling out of trees i mean they're like keith richards you know you could just go pluck one off the tree and they were six foot hot look all american black-haired shredders you know he probably i mean he probably had a demo tape that had him playing music that was already written right uh and did some things there but he probably they probably never heard him play something where he has to actually uh develop a solo a guitar solo for a brand new song where he has no melodic sense in that fashion and in addition uh, in in addition to that i think paul wanted an ugly guy on stage making him look (laughs) even better <laughs> I think that could be one of the reasons for real. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't doubt that for a minute. But you know what? At the LA Expo, can that may be a great question for Eddie, uh, you know, Mark's manager, you know, or, or whatever the chap's name is. I can't remember off the top of my head. So yeah. apologies if I got that wrong. By you know, what? How did he have a demo or something? Yeah. How yeah. the hell did he end up in? You know, just like Donut and Black Sabbath. I mean, it's such a clusterfuck for those two guys. You know, how on earth did he? end up in i mean was grover that you know hard for him simple as that i mean because the guy just didn't fit you know you know bless yeah, him how, he's how, gone how did you, not fit how, how would you feel like all of a sudden you get hired or is a hired gun and there's you know these two famous gene simmons and paul Stanley looking at you going right you know you're a guitarist here you go in you know you hear to criticize them and stuff 
how would you feel like you just get hired all of a sudden you're all excited yeah i get this new you know like you know it's a job you know i oh i get this new job i'm so excited and then all of a sudden you go in and there's two people like over your shoulder every you know after you learn your job all of a sudden you have two people looking over your shoulder going no we don't like this no we don't like you know at your ears and next you know you're going and and as you i as i think people saw in the past is that you know, they basically left Mark and Eric Carr in the studio while Gene and Paul went off doing whatever they were doing in California and having fun and doing whatever they're doing. And they would just show up and say, no, nah, we don't like that. And, you know, how would you feel? You do all this hard work and all of a sudden somebody says, no, we don't want that. you got to start all over again. And you're like, really? I mean, imagine the guy must have been against back against the wall, too, in a, in a way, you know, even though. You know, like you said, they might not hire. Maybe they should have hired Bruce right away, but it is what it is. But, you know, I, I would imagine Gene and Paul must have been seriously intimidating, you know. <laughs> the hell? You know? It's a light show. Yeah. So, All right. So let's go to the voice of reason for his final pick <laughs> and to bring the show to an end. Ken. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're still the voice of reason. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Um <laughs> The final, my final one uh, is just going to be um, the, actually, it's the KISS stage for, I could have said all the two, throughout the early 2000s and stuff, but the KISS stage for the uh, uh, the reunion uh, tour, hmm. uh, 96, I thought, Boy. I was very disappointed in that. I was expecting to see uh, the, you know, like a Live 2, Love Gun Kind of ones with stairs and things. I mean, if they're if you're gonna replicate the experience of 1977, which they were trying to do, uh, especially you know they had the costumes and all, um, the stage was lackluster, very lackluster. And maybe it was because I had a, even though I bought tickets as early as I could, I was way the heck back in in the you know the arena. Um, in San Jose, um, and but still, that when I look at that, it's it's really it's not working, and uh, and, and I was kind of could top that off again. Like I said, that they're two, you know the two thousands where they always say they had the best stage show and everything. It, it wasn't uh, the stage was kind of reused stuff from other tours or it looked similar to the other ones, and there was nothing going on. At least they. It got a little bit better, uh, you know. The, the, even Monster was a little better, but uh, yeah, the way they finally changed something. So, '96 reunion tour stage was kind of they could have they could have really done something really cool with that. All right, so that's some of our picks of things that uh, go into the room where the worstest thing in the world goes, and obviously all of this is very subjective. And we've taken off our rose-tinted glasses for a few minutes to really think about those things that make you want to put a cage on your head and drop in an angry, hungry rat um, to put you out of your misery. So, you know, what are some of the things that you think could be erased from Kiss's history and ought to be never spoken about again? Um, 
you know, let us know on one of the threads on YouTube, on Facebook, on the FAQ message board, or wherever you listen to the show, because we love it when you participate. So I think that is enough negativity for one day. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go off and listen to Crazy Nights because I'm just in that sort of mood now. Um, but Daniel, thank you for joining us and putting up with the technical issues. Um, some of you will probably say after seeing this show, with no doubt the video issues that I know we're gonna have, that we should put this episode in Room 101 as well. So listen to it. Listen if you don't like the video today, go to the audio version because. Uh, we kind of stretch the technical bounds sometimes and uh, fall flat on our face. So from Andy, from Ken, from Daniel, from Mark and myself, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> uh, we will see you next time. Like I said, we're reindeer. We're going to get shot. We're going to get shot. For thank this. you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.